Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist, and I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 70 for May 12th, 2021. In this podcast, the Venue team talks about the recent Pipeline Cybersecurity event, Microsoft Office 365, and Venue's Office 365 Migration and Protection Solutions. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Welcome to another podcast. Um, hey. We're, we're here with the team from Venue, uh, Eric and Michael, myself, William, yeah. and we've got some special guests in the virtual studio today. Actually, a couple of our, our, our guys are actually in uh, the data center, all right, in the um, in the, the the venue media room, uh, and we where have we used to do the podcast. Where we used to do the podcast, which we'll soon be going back to doing the podcast there, hopefully. But uh, this morning we have Karan Cooper, who is venues. Hey, Karan, who and, and Karan, tell us a little bit about what you do. I was going to introduce you, but introduce yourself. All right, no problem. So, good morning to everybody. My name is Karan Cooper. I am delivery services team manager here at Venue. I've been here for 18 years on May the 4th. Ooh, that's wow. a long time. <laughs> yes. Longer than me. Yep. Um, we also have in, in the studio uh, Mr. Mark Obear, who is also with Venue's delivery services, correct? Yes, sir. Good morning to you guys. Uh, Mark Obear here, been with Venue uh, 12 years and counting. Um, nice. Delivery services engineer, um, main role. Uh, doing a lot of uh, delivery services for our first first support first in support customers. So first tier support. I've been doing it about twelve years. Yeah, thank nice. you, Ron. thank you, Ron. Thank you, Mark. Uh, it's great to have you guys with us. Yep, absolutely. So before we get into today's uh, in today's podcast topic, uh, let's talk about some hot tech news that has really just happened. I think it was last week. Uh, and this is around a, a ransomware attack, right? A cybersecurity event. Yeah, Mike, yeah. you want to tell us more? Yeah, I mean this this comes you know kind of kind of right off the heels of our last podcast dealing with with the state of cybersecurity, and we had talked in that podcast about kind of the evolution and and not only the evolution but the the frequency in which attacks have occurred, and you know, boom, right right, right after that, we we have this this colonial pipeline cybersecurity attack. Um, it, like Will said, just happened a couple of days ago and it was, it was a pretty bad one that ended up shutting down the, the pipeline operations, uh, for, for quite a while. Um, very targeted attack, you know, they were, they were going after this specific pipeline. It, it wasn't, you know, some widespread warm-like activity or anything like that, that was going to end up hitting other places, um. And and from the um, you know some of the news that's come out about it and, and the research that's been done, it, it looks like they got in through um, you know some type of back office uh, operations. Um, so yeah, it was it's it's definitely you know something that's still developing. They're they're still you know releasing more IOCs about it, um, and. You know, just something to be mindful of, you know, going forward that that these these are are new and, and very prevalent um, and, and ongoing. Um, 
We had just talked about that that Microsoft on-prem exchange uh, zero-day attack in in the last uh, podcast, and you know this this new one came out. So yeah, the one yeah, thing I, I think I got a I think I saw somewhere over the weekend where the, I think we we're we're crossing the ten million uh, ten million mark of of, of hacks. Something crazy like that. Uh, they said it is just increasing. Yeah, the crazy the crazy thing is is this real this pipeline actually provides gasoline from for most of the East Coast, right? From like maybe what uh, Atlanta on down through the, maybe the bottom of Texas. So this one's a very large impact um, to the infrastructure. I mean, you you know, when, and this is the thing is ransomware. Now, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what's ransomware? Or maybe you talk to people, you know, family, friends, or whatever, and like, okay, ransomware. They don't really know either anyone who's gotten it or it doesn't really directly impact them. Um, but this morning, you know, I was I was looking at the news before work and like there are people freaking out about not having availability of gas. Uh, yeah. So this is they're, they're over buying on gas in, in North Carolina. So there's actually a fuel shortage now because people have panicked <laughs> thinking that there's not going to be gas. So they're showing up with, you know, big tanks. Um, you know, to, to fill those and, and store them. So, right. yeah. so, so the, the, the point take away from this actually is even without a successful shutdown of the, of the, of the system, the hackers have succeeded in causing a fear yeah. across, yep. across the nation. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, you, you, I, I would, I would venture to say more and more people are, are knowing the word ransomware, right. Or cybersecurity attack. And this has become more impactful to, <laughs> to everyone's day-to-day life, not just the IT industry. Well, the interesting thing is this this has been around for for years, this concept of of infrastructure attacks, whether it's the power grid or oil and gas. Um, this is something that that cybersecurity expert, experts have been waving the flag on. And, you know, um, in, in some cases, you know, organizations have, have taken uh, heed of that and, and done what they need to to improve their security posture but in some cases it's it's kind of fallen on deaf ears uh, so hopefully now people are taking you know uh, m- more stock in these warnings and and are going to take the appropriate measures needed right well this and, and again this podcast this particular episode is not you know centering on on cybersecurity, but we just wanted to mention this as being something you know we, and we might start doing like maybe at the beginning of each podcast like the hot tech news or something that focuses on cybersecurity because really that cybersecurity has become so much of an important thing these days we might want to you know have a small segment just on that. Well, and I think the point being is the the exchange hack kind of leads directly into the conversation we're speaking about today, yeah. right? So, so we know that something like sixty thousand exchange servers were exposed two months ago or three months ago uh, to these vulnerabilities, and I'm sure there's at some level there's still a, a, an unknown amount of. Uh, exfiltrations that happen from that, right? When, in other words, what did they gain access to, right? <clears throat> However, the vulnerability was not at Office 365. Mm. So, so that that's that's a that's a plus in this conversation that we're talking about as we we begin to talk about our own hosted exchange platform and how we're planning to migrate from that into Office 365. Yep. So, really, today's topic really is kind of you know. Our, our take on Microsoft Office 365, kind of the road, 
how people are moving from on-prem exchange over into the Microsoft Office 365 cloud services, right? And um, I think a lot of people, <clears throat> especially when I'm talking to customers in pre-sales, even today we find customers who want to move to Office 365 but really don't know exactly what they're getting. You know, and, and, and part of my role as a sales engineer is talking to customers about the different features, right, and the different w what comes with Office 365 because in the past – when a person would say, hey, I'm getting Office, they would say, oh, I'm getting desktop applications, right? Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and so on. But with Office 365, as most people know, it's not just that. We're actually looking at online services, right? And the most popular, I would say the reason why people move to Office 365 is Exchange Online, right? So email. Yep. And then a bunch of other services that, that customers are leveraging in addition to the primary, which being email, things like Teams Chat, right? Collaboration, um, IM, uh, SharePoint, right? Hosting small micro websites or micro blogs for a company. Um, yep. OneDrive storage, which has been really a big push where people are moving maybe data from a conventional file server into things like OneDrive, right? Um, I, I won't talk about my own concerns about people still needing a true file server, but, you know, OneDrive does come in handy for a lot of customers, especially, you know, since they're mobile, Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure Mark and Karan can expound even large. I'm actually, I'm actually smiling here as you as you say the you know the the case or need for a physical file server in in this day and age. So many users just they they don't they don't need that much of IT right. And, and Office 365 is providing them that platform as little or as much as you want um, with the flexibility that you need, no matter what the scale of the business is. Yep. Yeah, so. Definitely. You know, in addition to the online services, you know, customers can still get things like Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Access, Publisher, Teams. Am I forgetting anything? <laughs> you know, the basic Windows. There's tons and, of them more, right? I mean, what's that? There's tons of more options, right? Yeah, there's there's tons of them. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not even mentioning things like email archive or encryption. So there's a lot of services that get bundled in from Microsoft um, to support, you know, I would say the bread and butter you know, product is, is email, but there's just so many things around, um, around the Office 365 ecosystem that people are, are taking advantage of. So, well, so I, th I think we've seen a migration in the last, and I, I can remember, so that shows you how old I am, but I can remember in the old days, and this has been in the 90s, when, when Microsoft had begun the conversations about how they want to move to a leasing um uh, method of all their applications. I thought that's the dumbest thing ever, right? But mm. now, 25 years later, here we are, right? And so, so it's the idea that you can take, hey, I don't have to buy $500 worth of software. I can lease it for five bucks a month, right? right. So I don't have to come out of my pockets of 500 times 100 users. I mean, right there, you know, $10,000 or whatever it is, right? $5,000. So, so, so out of your pocket day one, you have that big expense. Whereas if you just go into office, well, hey, you don't have to put a commitment down. You just just start paying for it. And when you're done, when you don't need it anymore, just stop paying for it, right? So I think this is a, a trend that we see with almost all applications, right? So that's, that's, yeah. we see it across the board with all applications. And so I think I think the power that that gives the IT staff to to leverage a new budget is is dramatic, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. 
Yep. So one one question that I had for for Karan and and Mark uh, with the Officer sixty five. I mean, my my team in particular is kind of abstracted from this. So this uh, topic is is pretty interesting for me. Um, you know, are there are there different licensing models? You know, depending upon what you want. Uh, Karan, I heard you say like as little or as much as you want, but kind of what go into a little bit of detail about what that looks like, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, Michael, uh, there are a lot of pricing models. Basically, it's a uh, it's like what we call an ice cream shop. You go in and you basically can pick any flavor and varieties and and add them and mix them. Amongst, uh, you add them, add them and mix them amongst each other. Um, very basic plans will start as uh, simple as an exchange online plan. That's uh, no, you know, no, no office desktop applications, just strictly. OWE access to your email. And, you know, a lot of people may have use for that that don't need desktop software, things of that nature. But the big push that I think a lot of people are moving to is the software um, side of it where they do get the office suite. And the sweet thing about getting is that they have multiple versions. So you're just not stuck or dedicated to one version of office. So they may have this order back as 2013, you know, office suite and whatever the most current flavor is. And a lot of people go with that because it cuts the refresher rate. So if I have a 2013, uh, 2010 outlook, you know, and I already have a license where I'm getting, you know, from office and I'm getting the office suite, I can get 2013 up to whatever the latest flavor is and install it. And I can do it up to on five devices for that one user. So, um, it, it's really a no brainer for people who are looking to refresh, who haven't bought PCs in the general year. Or so where it's already installed, because this is basically the push to kind of get this, you know, um, to, to kind of get the on demand, the on, the on demand software and, also, all of the other plethora of things that uh, Office 365 is offering, like you said, there's add-ons from email encryption to compliance. A lot of people are doing compliance, mm-hmm. security. You know, a lot of your hosted exchange servers, they're not set up to send encrypted email. So a lot of people moving Office 365 for encryption email, you know, so security side of it. And also for compliance, if I want to pull reports um, that, are, that are easily ran, Microsoft has those reports there where I can run them for my compliance side of things and make sure my compliance is updated also. Yeah, so, so you're talking about a very very large suite of options is what I hear Mark saying, uh, Michael, because – you know, we, we may be consuming, you know, online exchange as well as as the office suite, but we might not be including something like PowerPoint, right? So you yeah. have the, all those different suites that, are, and, and they're all, you know, they'll be like online, they'll be like enterprise E3 license or E1 or E5, all these different versions. And then you look through all the options you get in each one. And then the beauty of it is, and I think Mark was kind of alluding to this, is that, in an organization like ours where we have 400 employees, we could have 200 employees with the bottom end, just all they get is, is email. And we could have 150 users where they get an email and desktop applications. Then we could have another 50 users or whatever it is that have all the whole suite, everything, PowerPoint, everything you can imagine, right? And you can mix and match that, and then you have – you're, you're, you're buying very specific to your users versus having to buy everything for everyone because you don't know who's using what. That's exactly. Correct. And the other thing, Karan, and Karan and I were talking a little bit before uh, the podcast got started, was really, you know, we talk about reducing cost, right? And we talk about maybe leveraging economies of scale and this type of thing for, for our customers. But one of the big things that 
we, we look at when we have IT organizations moving to Office 365 really is a reduction of, uh, of hardware cost, right, and support. You know, one of the things I would say that <clears throat> when I talk to IT individuals out in the world or even our internal staff, one of the hardest things to, to manage, I would say, right, especially if you're dealing with limited IT support is, you know, an, an email server, right, keeping your email server up and running, uh, worrying about, especially worrying about security um, hacks to an email server, right? Because I would say email would be one of the major points of ingress for things like cyber attacks, right? Absolutely. Yeah, or at least e one of them, still, right? Email is still the number one threat vector uh, for cyber attacks. Um, yeah. Even today, which is which is wild, but... So I would say, you know, looking at the time you would save and the cost of not having to do hardware refresh every, you know, three years or five years, whatever, and then just the care and feeding of patching and then keeping your email services up and running, right, in your premises, I would say that probably alone would justify a good part of the move to Office 365. Yeah, def definitely a pro, um, but... What are some other pros for, for organizations moving to Office 365 that <clears throat> Koran, you and Mark have seen? Well, I mean, from, from my standpoint, security is a, is a top thing. You know, we mentioned uh, just Office 365 being modular in its design. You know, you have an opportunity to do uh, a number of things to address security, information protection, uh, being able to use multi-factor authentication, uh, being able to use other third-party applications for your multi-factor authentication as well. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we saw um, that could be a, a con in the industry um, when when it comes to using utilizing Office 365. Yeah, and how about I mean, like we were touching on earlier, how about the fact that you know if if you're rolling out all these applications, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Access, Publisher, whatever, right? Teams, and and the IT staff doesn't have to go to each desktop and install it or even or in, or use Active Directory to publish a new application to programs to have someone download it and run it and install where they can just hit it in the web browser and start using Word. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really nice. I used that the other day when I was on a Mac. And I mean, I was actually up at, at the data center and I didn't have my normal work PC and I was on a Mac and I was like, oh, I need to get to Word. Oh, wait a second. I can just launch, you know, um, office.microsoft.com or I forgot what the URL is. But basically, it logs me in to all of my desktop apps, right? Just, just run through the browser, right? Yeah. And I think with today's internet connections continually getting faster and really the, you know, the, you know when you look at it, really what is an application and can you run a, an app like, you know, Word or PowerPoint or, or Excel in a browser, I would say it's 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 absolutely doable these days, right? Sure. The, the, so, so, I, mean, my, I agree with that, Will. So I, I think that the, the, the internet is fast enough for that. I mean, maybe it's slow when you're trying to retrieve a file or if you're trying to do comp computations or stuff like that. But just to do simple Word and Excel, yeah, it's a great place. And that, the other beauty of it is if, if, you're, if you're publishing it to OneDrive, then you also get to do sharing of it right so and then mm -hmm. you have two people sharing the same document and you can see who's editing what at, this, at the exact time you can see that maybe i'm editing an excel spreadsheet and i can see that mark obear is in a cell i can see that you know michael faisley's in a different cell and i'm in a different cell and as we're updating it, it's, it's updating it on immediately to everybody right. yeah now, definitely now, now eric if you can just do me a favor and convince microsoft to port visio <laughs> 
to, to a web browser app, I'll be completely happy. I, you know, I would think that's one of those. I think that's one of those applications that's going to be a little bit more uh, computation oriented. So that's probably why they haven't quite done that yet. Yeah. You know why it runs better locally, right? But but that's a great example of where desktop they, versus web works well. They do have Visio on on the web. You're kidding me, right? Well, I've, yeah, it does, is it for the web? That's what I use. Oh, yeah. is it really? Yeah. I, I think you have to be, hmm. once again, it's one of those things where you have to be licensed for it. That's yeah. correct. There, there are special licenses, but they do have it on the web. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe, and it's, it does the same features as a desktop app for the most part? For the most part, yeah. All for the, the most features, part, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I may have to look at that because, man, sometimes <laughs> I fact, usually... It gives you it gives you the option to open it on your desktop yes. or edit through the web. When you want to edit a diagram, Ooh. it gives you that option. And you have stencils and the whole thing. Probably maybe yep. even more more stencils than on the local app. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to have to look at that because you know, a lot of times I'm working, you know, on my laptop, but I have like Excel, Word, Power, you know, uh, Visio open at the same time. And Visio is where when I launch that, usually things come to grind for a little bit. So I might try to browser. Yeah, so, so as a perfect example, Will, like I use, I like to save to a local file server. I don't like to push my files out to the cloud, not because I don't trust the cloud, but it's because I find I find finding the files and and and, and uh, reusing the files a little bit easier when I have it in a file server structure. It's because you're old. <laughs> that could be it too. <laughs> However, I have a I have a laptop that I de- that I've dedicated to traveling, right? So yeah. I, I travel with this particular laptop. So so I really don't have anything installed on it, right? It's to keep it the, the the less it's installed, the less I have like issues with, right? So I got it. It boots up. It's got a BitLocker password on it. I type the password and I can boot it up. This is all secure there. But at that point, when I'm ready to do work, I can either VPN into the office, Citrix into the office, but I run all my applications from the cloud, save to OneDrive, and I move them where I want them later, right? Yeah. So if I, so it gives me a lot of flexibility uh, with my, with my, my, my situation where I work remotely, right? Mm-hmm. So it gives me a lot of flexibility where I can travel and I can still be a, a, uh, an effective worker without having to carry a, a laptop with all my applications on them. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I still, and this is me personally, and I know people have different opinions. I would say I still am of the type that likes to have a an on-prem file server, uh, mainly because, you know, if I'm working with large files or if I'm working with um, a lot of data, I don't want, like, OneDrive synchronizing everything, and I know that there's ways to, to work around that, but I don't know. Uh, just one of those things. So, I mean, what kind of what kind of things do do Mark and Kron hear from the clients in regards to using OneDrive for a file share location? Basically, for the most part, it's just a uh, it's just a user learning experience. A lot of these people are coming from file servers where they're just you know have either a map drive already there, um, just to use just to basically the the workflow that changes for these users are really the the only thing that you kind of hear a little bit of something about. But for the most part, they enjoy it once they understand the collaboration and uh and knowing how it works because. At some point, normally when they're doing OneDrive, they're using SharePoint. They're using some mm-hmm. other entity along with it right. to make it a lot more, you know, uh, a lot, lot more user friendly, a lot more innovative, you know. So people, once they get to use it and see the full capabilities of it, you know, it basically turns into a, uh, it basically turns into a happy thing for them. Versus, you know, users don't want any change. 
of course. You know, you teach a dog something and they do it if it's five, six years. It's hard to go tell them to go do something different until you do some positive reinforcement and they see the benefits of it. So once people see the benefits of it, which the benefits of it are the collaboration tools I really love, the security portion of it, the way you can send a secure a document to someone who's not even in your organization. Um you know, once they get the full benefits of what Microsoft has to offer, it turns into, wow, I didn't know this exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it's all about the adoption process yeah. and how much you let them know about the environment that they're getting ready to use. Yeah. And I would also say that, again, this kind of reverberates, I would think, just the flexibility, overall flexibility and the end user experience that is, is positive uh, moving to Office 365. Um in terms of, you know, we talk about a lot of pros, what are some of the cons, right? And, you know, as I was thinking about this this morning, I really couldn't think of a lot of cons why people would be resistant to going to Office 365. Um, what do you guys think about what some of the cons would be or the, or the negativity would people think about before taking the jump into um, cloud, cloud email services? Well, I was I was talking about this earlier, uh, William, before we started. You know, the the cons for me are, are are difficult to find. It's really based on the the business solution that the customer is looking to fit, right? So for a lot of people, out of the box, Office three sixty five is going to fit. It's going to work. It's going to be exactly what they need. Um, there's only going to be in some cases where it's going to be a con for you. But some of those cons, you know, for me, the the first would be cost consideration. You know, being able to integrate this into your business and maybe your business uh, is already complex enough. You already have um, Active Directory uh, services, you need to do a hybrid model, um, and therefore you may need to spend a little bit more money before you can actually utilize Office 365 the way that you want to. Um, that's that's one example of it. Uh, the, the other for me would, would really be just um, talking about the archive you know, you know, portion of Office 365. Mm. That's that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. But, you know, your your deleted items, um, your inbox, um, things like that. You know, those things have the ability to be archived, but that is not a service that's included right off the bat. And for some of, of those users that are coming from old school Exchange, um, where they may have a third party archive service that is utilized through, you know, routing of a connector or things like that. They may need to do a, a few smart things here to to try to be nimble there. Um, but it's nothing that they can't get over. Um, and then a, a con that is present both in Office 365 and also in old school exchanges, uh, mailbox quotas, right? Being able to deal with mailbox quotas, you have power users that may be well over five or 10 gigs um, where, you know, that can cause you an issue when importing or migrating users to Office 365. So th- those would be the, the the number one things that I would consider to be cons in this, in this example. And yeah. also from... And also for me, for an IT standpoint, depends on your knowledge of exchange, surrendering uh, kind of, not, not your rights, but giving control. up your rights, your control yeah. to relinquish it to Microsoft. That's a big deal. It's a big deal for some people that are old school that, you know, are, you know, been that have been raised in exchange, you know, it's kind of hold it, you hard to relinquish that control. But the benefits of it is that you get so much other controls, but the other kind of that is that you have to learn those controls, those controls. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of controls out there at Microsoft. Like I said, there's a plethora of different things that they offer from different comes from security, just from managing users. And one thing that we missed out guys that I really wanted to speak to is that even when you purchase office 365, one of the main points I'm old school that we come from is that they all for uh, spam filtering out the gate. So you don't have a spam filter in place, which is another security, you know, um, another security step people kind of over overlook, but, you know, having something to 
read through those spam messages, quarantine those messages, make sure that those those messages that are coming to your users are valid messages. You know, that's 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 something that people miss over. But also with that, one of the cons is you have to learn to uh, manage that online um, spam filtering. You know, it doesn't come out the come out the box with, you know, you can do this, you can do that. So you may have to tighten it, you may have to make rules. And that's another dot con that I see is that people have to make rules and make some constraints to make it um, uniform as they had it with their exchange. Yeah. So, so, so Mark, so when you, when you're migrating a, a client to Office 365, and I know you've done this a bunch of times, both with people that have on-prem uh, exchange or uh, anything else, there's flavors of email versus our own hosted exchange platform. Um, do you find that you have a lot of administrative training that you need to do with the end user in these cases? No, not really, because I'll be honest with you, uh, you get two type of people that come to you. You get people that are just wanting to move to Office 365 because they saw something that they want to utilize already, so they kind of have a plan for it. And then you get some people that come over that are saying, hey, I don't want to do the software refresh. Let's move to this. My exchange server, like you said, I'm at the point now where I have to buy a whole bunch of gear to move over. So you need to get one of those two people. And for the most part, the the, the first people that know what they want, they kind of already researches and know exactly you know, how they want to use Office 365 and the controls. They just want to get it there. The other person, they're, they're just discovering it as we move and we start. Normally when we migrate, it's a whole questionnaire we have to go through because there's so many things that people can manage. Like you said, there's the spam filtering. They may have their own spam filtering, but they may want to move to it. And what I'm saying is that the, 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 the second person who doesn't know, who just basically looking to move, they get into a whole, um, they get into a whole field of, Oh, I didn't know this. And then you kind of explain it to them, but they'd be more or less what getting over first and then learning. And it's not a big learning curve. It's more or less, I didn't know they had it and God, it's pretty good to know, you know, now I'll use it. Yeah. Well, how many times do you have the conversation where the client says, Hey, uh, can you go pull me a backup of this guy's folder? And you say to that person, what? Uh, the ones that's moved over to uh, Office 365. Yeah, to Office, yeah. Yeah, uh, it just depends. You know, Office has a lot of mechanism there. It depends if it's been deleted in the last 30 days. We can get it back. Um, and normally when we move clients over, um, you know, speaking into another point that we'll get to is that we offer backup assistance with them also. But for the most part, they can restore the file. As long as it's been deleted in the last 30 days, Okay. use this mailbox, you can actually go into the console and just simply click restore that email and it will simply restore. So there are some other fields that I'll have to ask when ask if they deleted the, uh, the file. But my first question would be, is, was it in the last 30 days? It makes it a lot simpler. And from there, we kind of work backwards. Right. So after that, I'm sorry, go ahead, Michael. I, I was going to say, um, you know, you, you talking about the uh, migrating customers to there, like, can you walk us a little bit through how those migration processes work? Yeah, of course, of course. So um, there's a, the, 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 for, I'll speak this way. So migration steps to do. My, Microsoft itself offers migration where they can, you basically have to, present your mail to a backend server, which is like a NAS or some storage device, and you import your PSTs into Microsoft. That 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 particular uh, option takes a little bit more advanced um, 
it wants to be a little bit more advanced because it takes user mapping. You have to map. It's not directly connecting to the Exchange server, basically. You have to do some extra steps that basically allow you to securely upload the PST to them, or you can mail your, uh, let's say you have another NAS or some storage device, you can mail your uh, data to Office 365 and they will import it in there for you. And one of the last options we do is that we have some tools on our side that makes it easier that where we can basically copy the mail from one mailbox from your own premise to Office 365 seamlessly with no downtime to the user, no downtime meaning that while we're copying the data and moving the migration data over, we can move all the mail there and have it staged to where we can actually present you know, a cutover date, which cutover date, regardless of who you are, that's going to be a downtime when you do an email migration because this has to be a cut from one system to resume to another system. So basically uh, from start to finish, Mike, I gave you um, just two, uh, three examples of you can ship your data to Office 365 PSTs. You can upload them to their uh, storage device on the back end or you, there are some other tools that are out there that like we use particularly there where we can synchronize the mailboxes seamlessly that we like to use and it's very been very beneficial for our and it's a very good tool that we use and even as an engineer I've done migrations where we had to take PSTs and literally migrate them into exchange like you know run oh, the wow. commands or whatever or however you want scripting to do it and it's a pain, but the tools we use, like I said, the seamless part, it's, it's, it's very easy. I have, you know, if I've done it maybe 20 times out of the 20 times I've done it, we have 20 times success rate. I don't run nice. into many issues with it and it's fairly easy and it makes, it makes everything seamless. I can tell who's sinking, who's not sinking, tell who's sinking, can choose the time. So uh, migration, you know, you can use those different um, options is migrations, or like I said, you can. Or they can just come to us. Yeah, that's yeah. In the end result. Yeah, you know, I'd like to touch yeah. on that too, Mark, because I think one of the main differences between some of these uh, options to migrate into cloud are <clears throat> so obviously putting your your files on a on a NAS and shipping to them now have a you know a time frame with which email is up-to-date or not up-to-date, right? So that's, that's issue number one. Second issue is if you're going to copy PSTs, you're actually talking about doing Power CLI commands, right? So now is the end user capable of doing all those Power CLI commands and understands – because Power CLI with, cloud, with uh, Office is a tad bit different than Power CLI on, on our local workstation. So, so that adds a little bit of complexity. And then the next piece is what you said, and I'm glad you said the word. You where the tools that we use is actually a synchronization. It's not a copy. So what I was really doing is saying, hey, I want the the email on both sides to be equal, and then Mark schedules that to, to get it in sync, and then every so often he resyncs it. And when it resyncs it, all it says is what's at the office side versus what's local, and moves the stuff that has changed. And then on a day where everything's in sync. You know, the last day that they're ready to go, you know, Mark offers the client to, okay, well, we need to swing your MX records to office versus your local workstation. So there's some downtime there. And then when the, and while they're doing that, Mark runs a final synchronization. And then when the MX record is completely moved to office and they log into office 30 minutes later or whatever that time frame is for the DNS to get updated, there's their, all their email right there. So the, the so even though there is an outage, it's, it's kind of a minimal outage, right, Mark? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And it can be very minimal because it's just 
particular, you know, the particular time frame that you do it. You know, if we do it overnight, then when you're expecting way, way less mail flow at whatever time frame, then the, the outage is very minimal. I and mean, to be honest with you, the switch of the MX record and all that good stuff, we're looking at maybe an hour of propagation time. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the most of the, uh, the the customer engagements that I work on when I work with Mark and Karan are, are all using the synchronization and, and cutover methodology. Right. And it, we find the customers really, you know, really take advantage of of the migration not being painful. Right. And that's something that that venue offers in terms of, you know, whether you're using our licensing or not. Because um, we also we're a Microsoft Cloud provider, so we can provide the the, the Office 365 licensing, but we then can also help with migration, and that's what Karan and Mark's team team is really responsible for. Correct, and also, well, one just one other point I like to point out with the tool that we use, and the reason why we use it really is because of the synchronization part. But the other part that we use it too is that it actually does desktop configuration. So, let's say we're dealing with a particular company that doesn't have an IT staff per se. We're dealing with you know an office manager who has you know she just knows enough to be dangerous. And basically, we we are we have software that the tools that we use would actually go in and reconfigure the users in uh, endpoint outlook uh, profile and pointed to office 365 and all that's done through the two that we use i can tell it which users to to actually configure and when to configure so so mark i think that's a great point i mean that's even if you do have an it manager look at look at today's world the covid world right how many of us work remotely and how many of us will be continuing to work remotely as well as the the piece of that so the it the it director or the help desk they're not going to have direct access to your laptops unless they're doing screen sharing, right? So, so what a what a what a tough way to to manage software. Whereas if you're just sending them a link here, run this run this command, and your Outlook's configured. That not just for that 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 office manager lady that doesn't know a lot, but even for an IT staff, that's a that's a great great add-on. Yes. Yeah. So when we start looking at, you know, and Mark, uh, I think you mentioned a little bit about backups, right? Because when we start looking at, you know, you know, the migration and getting into Office 365 and, and moving to that platform is really good. Microsoft, Microsoft does an extremely good job of availability of your data, right? Keeping the servers up and running. If, if uh, maybe some backend services from Microsoft become, become, you know, go down or something like that, it will automatically reroute to other data centers and things like this. But a lot of times people forget about data protection, right? Not necessarily availability, but maybe when you need to recover data from uh, a few hours ago or maybe even a few months ago, right? Um, and, and that's one thing that a lot of times we, we want to make people aware of is data protection. Even though when you're moving to my Office 365, data protection is still important. Um, so with that, you know, we, we, we're, we're partners with um, Veeam and we provide backup uh, the backup for Office 365 product, and we've found that that's been very affordable and very valuable to our customers um, moving to Office 365. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And just just to kind of speak to that, you know, we we mentioned earlier, you know, Eric asked the the, the smart question of, you know, what happens when you delete a piece of email? You know, one of those answers is yes, and I can go back, you know, thirty days and, and get that email from, you know, inside of Office three sixty five. But that's not true, dr. And and for those companies out there that really have a dr plan, plan to have a dr plan, or really just 
you know, plan to have um, an, an option for backups. Veeam for Office 365 is a perfect option for that. That meshes with Office, with Office 365. Being yep. able to allow that user to backup at an object level, you know, every piece of that mailbox and be able to restore it um, from a Explorer view that's actually pretty cool. If anyone is, is familiar with our uh, Evault um, software, it's very similar to that. Um, and for those that are not familiar with it, if you think about a Microsoft Explorer window that you open up, your resources will be on the left that you can restore from. Um, and then you can select in a pane on the right exactly what piece of mail, you know, calendar, object, or, you know, attachment that you may be looking for that was lost. Yeah. And but you like get, you said, and you, with, 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 with standards backup software, you get like options for dates and everything, right? So I want to restore from Wednesday mm-hmm. versus yesterday. That's right. correct. So pick, pick a time and place and, you know, re- retention is important. You know, we, we may not uh, be keying in directly on retention, but retention is very important here. And VBO or Veeam uh, backup for Office 365 has an opportunity or option to backup, you know, like William was mentioning, weekly, monthly, yearly, you know, set that retention to whatever you need based on the compliance of your company. Forever. <laughs> Um, so, you know, and we talked about, yeah, we talked about, you know, this is, so the, the Veeam, uh, product, you know, definitely backs up email, right? Any type of email object, deleted items, uh, calendar events, users, uh, well, not users, uh, contacts and email messages and folders, but it also handles things like, uh, now, uh, OneDrive, right? So your OneDrive data can be, be protected. Your SharePoint assets, right? Your data and actual metadata can be backed up as well now as Teams information, right? So right. you're getting you- really the full line of Office 365 products. Now we can back up with Veeam. And the thing I will say about Veeam that, that our customers really like is if though in the way how we how we how we provide that to our customers really we have multiple options whether um, we're just giving users license and the veeam server the veeam backup server runs in a customer environment or if we're fully managing it the thing about the veeam services is our backup product is the the production data still is in microsoft but when we back it up we actually back it up outside of microsoft right so we do have a copy of email um in the customers in the customers cloud here at our data centers right so if there's any issue where maybe for some reason you want to move out of microsoft right uh your data is in a format that we can really recover anywhere and it's not just recovering back to office 365 but we can recover to pst message file Uh, we can even recover back to an exchange server if the customer wants so really a flexible product yeah, and I like to add too, Will. I like the real feature of it. When I first saw Veeam, is that the uh, the option to look at the email, <laughs> like literally, you can actually, you know, go into it and look at the email and see is that what I really want versus you know s- just something that has a date frame and who it's from. Right before right. you restore it, it has the full details. So that's the granular level of what I really like about Veeam. I would say it and gives I'd like, you. I'd like to touch on something as well, which is I think we. We, we mentioned this earlier. So, so moving to Office 365, a pro uh, for a lot of people anyway, is that, you know, hey, I don't have to buy software anymore. Well, same with the Veeam option, right? So if you're using the, the product from us, we can lease you Veeam. So you can start using Veeam day one, and it's just a monthly cost to you. You're not buying $5,000 worth of Veeam licensing and installing it locally and then running it. You just start using it and it's, you know, your however much dollars it is for the, the mailbox that we're protecting, right? So so that's, once again, an added flexibility that you get by, by combining an Office 365 
offering from us as well as the backup offering from us is, is getting rid of that capital cost to buy the software. Right. And if anyone, you know, if, if any of our listeners that, you know, when we start working with customers want to see demos, that's something that we have in our labs that we can literally show um, potential customers or existing customers really what the software looks like before they invest in, invest in the solution. Um, and I can talk to customers, you know, make it to their nauseous, right? If they want to know about the theme product line, um, you know, I, I won't be like that, um, that, that, that guy from the airplane movie. Remember where he, the guy just keeps talking, deep talking. And I think he jumps off the plane or something like that. I won't go that far, but, uh, uh, we can definitely do demos and deep dives into any of our products. Absolutely. Well, guys, we're right at about 43 minutes, uh, which is kind of our sweet spot uh, to keep customers, you know, from falling asleep. Uh, so I want to thank Karan and, and Mark for joining on today's, today's podcast. I think it was really good to have you guys, um, you know, on, on this one, especially leveraging your expertise in Office 365 and migrations, we, we really appreciate your work. Yeah, we really appreciate it, guys. Mark, we, we've seen you do so many migrations, and any of our clients out there that have questions, I, I'm sure they're going to get directed right to you. Yeah. I was going to mention that before we got off the call, just, just looking at Mark over here, between the two of us, we have about 20 years of migration experience between the two of us alone. That's crazy. Yeah. And when you add in Eric, that's like 150 years. Yeah, yeah. My first <laughs> migration was actually in 2002. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool, guys. Well, anyway, this is going to wrap up this podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us on the iTunes store. Uh, we're on TuneIn. Uh, we're on Stitcher Radio. Um, if you're in your car, a lot of times people have Stitcher Radio. And we are moving to Spotify. Please stand by. I need to just move the feed over to Spotify, and then we'll be on that platform as well. Um, be on the lookout. We're going to try and start doing some clubhouse meetings at the, uh, on the Louisiana technology pros club. So I'm going to sweet talk, uh, Michael and Eric to maybe doing that with me soon. Uh, maybe next week we'll kick one off and we'll send out some emails. Um, we love feedback from our customers. If you have suggestions for things, topics you'd like us to talk about, please email us at podcast as a P O D C A S T at venyu.com podcast at venue.com and um, also check us out on the web at um, www.venue.com slash podcasts with an s awesome so thank you very much guys i think this was a good one and uh, we'll, we'll we'll stay tuned for the next podcast coming up and i guess what eric maybe a couple of weeks i guess a few weeks yeah all right Take guys care, everyone thank you so much thank you everybody bye-bye